Good morning. Today we're going to carry on looking at the story of Ruth that Roy started last week. Now, as we saw in the beginning of this, Ruth, tell, uh, Ruth 1 1 tells us this happened during the time of the judges, which was a time when Israel repeatedly fell away from God. They got infl- afflicted in some way until they saw sense and turned back to God. And then God sent a leader, a judge, to rescue them and take them forward in relationship with him. This was a difficult and a lawless period. If you read the book of Judges, you'll see stories of wars, assaults, assassinations, mass murder, rape, even civil war. And yet even in those challenging times, there were men and women who kept close to God. Last week, when uh, we heard how Elimelech and his family escaped famine in Israel and in Bethlehem by going to Moab, how Elimelech died there, And his sons married Moabite women, despite the command against that in Deuteronomy 23.3. And then the sons too died, leaving Naomi and her daughters after 10 years, widowed and alone in a foreign country. Naomi therefore decided to return to Bethlehem. Ruth and Orpah, the two Moabite women, started out with her, but only Ruth completed the journey. And we saw at the end how Naomi, having got back to Bethlehem, bitterly declared that she'd gone away full, but returned empty because God had afflicted her in chapter 1, verse 21. Today we pick up the story with them back in Bethlehem. And things that haven't got any better for the two widows. Although old acquaintances had greeted them, it seems that practical help wasn't forthcoming. There was no social security net in those days. No, No way for women to respectably earn an income. And they'd arrived in Bethlehem at the start of the spring harvest in April. So although Naomi owned the fields that had been her husband, husband's, there was no way to get a harvest from them for many months. The cupboard was bare. They needed food. Clearly, God's command in Deuteronomy 14, 28 to 29 had been forgotten by the people. Because in that, those verses, he said, Every third year, you shall bring out the full tithe of your produce for that year and store it in your towns. The Levites, because they have no allotment or inheritance with you, as well as the resident aliens, the orphans and the widows in your towns, may come and eat their fill so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work that you undertake. Now, we've had a slight taste of the situation that Ruth and Naomi faced a few weeks ago, just before the lockdown, when people started panic buying and they emptied the supermarket shelves. Suddenly, although there was food elsewhere in the country, in the supply chain and the like, getting rice, pasta, long-life foods of any variety, even ordinary staples, let alone toilet rolls, was nearly impossible in our shops. Even since then, Carol's recently trying to arrange an online food shop for an elderly relative. She'd went onto a um, home delivery website, and found herself in a queue of 52,000 people waiting to get on the site to place an order, let alone get a delivery slot. Fortunately for Ruth and Naomi, God had made another provision for the poor in Leviticus 19, 9 and 10. He said, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very edges of the field, nor gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare or gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. 
that taking advantage of this meant admitting you were poor. And it meant doing real, hard, back-breaking work, finding and picking up those fallen stalks and ears of grain that had escaped the harvesters. Now, while Ruth was now poor, she was used to being the wife of someone who had provided for her. And before that, she'd been a daughter in a family that had provided for her. This was a massive drop down in status. And now she had to fend for herself and not just for herself. After all, she was young and healthy. She was probably in her mid to late twenties at this stage. Naomi, on the other hand, was probably in her late forties, early fifties. At a time where life was hard, there were no labor saving devices. Everything was done manually. Medical help was rare and expensive and the result was often premature aging. By Ruth going gleaning, by Ruth humbling herself by taking on that task, she saved Naomi from having to do it. But that action came at some personal risk. Judges have several accounts of the mistreatment of unfortunate women, most obviously in Judges 19. And when we look at the story, we see Boaz was certainly aware of the danger. Look at verse 9, verse 15, verse 21 in chapter 2. And so was Naomi in verse 22. Then let's look at Boaz. He was an older man, a relative of Elimelech, Ruth's father-in-law, and probably of the same generation. He's described as a prominent, rich man. The actual Hebrew word used is cheil, most frequently applied to soldiers and typically indicating valour. But in this case, refers to, referring to character. Boaz was a man of renown, of noble character, a man of standing. Interestingly, Boaz uses the same word, Shail, to describe Ruth later in the story in verse three, uh, chapter 3, verse 11, based on the kindness that Ruth has shown to Naomi. We see more of Boaz's character in his response to finding Ruth leaning in his field. The provision he makes for her goes far beyond what the law requires or what she felt she deserved, she says in verse 10. He offers her protection in verse 9. He provides food at lunchtime generously enough to, for her even to take some home to Naomi, verse 14. He provides much needed water during, the hot, during, uh, during a hot day in the sun, verse nine. And he even gets his men to pull out extra ears of grain for it, in verse 16. Now it's been estimated that a gleaner working hard could gather a few liters of, of grain in a day. Ruth collected an effort, 22 liters a testament both to her hard work and to Boaz's generosity. But Boaz is more than a rich landowner who gives aid generously to a foreign woman in need. He's a kinsman redeemer, we see in verse 20, someone who had a duty to ransom land for his kin and to marry a related widow to maintain the family name and the inheritance so that the land stayed with the family and there was an heir. And in many ways, he foreshadows some of the aspects of Jesus, because Jesus gave us all so much more than we deserve when he died for us to redeem us from our sins and bring us into God's family. So what can we learn from this story? Well, our society isn't any better than at the time of Judges. Think back to the, buying, the pre-panic buying spree. 
There were stories of fit young people barging elderly and frail people aside to get to the last can or packet on the supermarket shelf. We saw people selfishly taking far more than they needed. To be honest, far more than they needed. What do you do with 150 toilet rolls? And they took it at the expense of others who got nothing as a result. We've seen people putting their wants first. Think of the protests at the lockdown in the US. I want to be out and I don't care that I'm putting everyone else, anyone else I meet at risk because of this, especially the weak and vulnerable. There are many in our society who are putting, willingly putting themselves at risk to help others. People who work in the NHS, the people working in care homes, those who work in supermarkets, though they don't get the same credit as the NHS staff do, delivery drivers, all those people working in essential services who are still going to work and still doing their job day by day, no matter the risk they're taking. But there are also far too many people who are showing selfishness, lack of consideration, and a lack of love for their fellow man in the way they're treating each other and looking after themselves first, and anyone else can uh, look uh, deal with it themselves. Ruth too shows us that even in troubled times, there is another way, a better way, God's way. The main characters, Ruth, Boaz, Naomi, all show something of God's love to those around them. But love costs. Think about it. God, Ruth's love for Naomi had already cost Ruth her parents, her homeland, and the scorn of being a foreigner, the Moabites in, in Israel. And now it was going to cost Ruth the physical effort, the humility of gleaning because of her love for Naomi. That love, hesed in Hebrew, and translated kindness in chapter 1, 8 and chapter 2, verse 20, but as steadfast love, in other parts of the New Testament, is a characteristic of God. Those who have experienced God's hesed should be transformed by it and show it to others, as we see from Naomi and Boaz, and especially Ruth in these chapters. And we've also encountered God's hesed in Jesus. So the challenge for us, do we show that same sacrificial love to those around us especially in the current situation where everyone is so worried and concerned and, and trapped in so many ways. But the other lesson we can take away from this is that none of the people in this story are particularly special. Even Boaz. Yes, he was prominent in the town, he was wealthy. But Bethlehem was a small place. He's not a national player, he's not a king or a ruler of Israel, he's just a prominent farmer in a, in a rural town. Ruth, a young widow with no status and limited prospects. Naomi, an older widow with no prospects. And yet God was working for them. Verse three of chapter two says, Ruth happened to come to the part of the field owned by Boaz. Naomi recognized God at work in this in verse 20. It wasn't a coincidence, it was a God incidence. All of these people were ordinary rural folk doing everyday jobs in difficult times, being faithful to God as best they could. The decisions that each of them made, whether it was Ruth committing to Naomi and to God in chapter 1 verses 16 and 17, the decision to go gleaning rather than leaving it to someone else to do, 
or any other, were used by God to his purpose. As Ruth, the foreigner, the Moabitess, and Boaz became great-grandparents of King David, as we see in, we'll see in verse 417. And of course, in due course, ancestors of Jesus himself. We're equally not special in human terms. None of us are rich, none of us are famous, but we are special to God. And as we put our trust in God, as we seek to live as he calls us to, he can do something special with us too. Ruth and Boaz didn't know their great-grandson was going to be so special in the history of Israel and in God's plan to redeem the world. And we may not see what God has used us to do, but we can trust that he is in control. God is working in us and for us and through us. As Paul wrote in Romans 8, 28 to 29, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. No matter how hard our situation is, no matter how long the lockdown lasts, how extensive the pandemic becomes, or how distressing the news is, or our circumstances may be, we can be sure God is in control. We can trust him and we can rely on him. We are his, and as Jesus assured us in John 10, 28-29, nothing and no one can take us away from him. Nothing, not even death. 